0: The reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So the day of Pentecost arrives and we heard in the the clip from Justin Welby a little bit of the sort of the context, the context of the day of Pentecost. Jesus coming in incarnation at Christmas, coming to live amongst us in this broken world. Growing up, gathering around him disciples, living, teaching, modeling, showing the way to God. His death, his mighty resurrection, resurrection appearances, and the ascension to return to the Father. And the disciples have followed through on this journey. So where are they now? Where are they now in the book of Acts, both physically and spiritually? Well, we see at the beginning of this chapter that they are together. They have gathered together in one place, If we were to look at the previous chapter, we would realize that they've had a a shake-up amongst their leadership. Not only have they lost Jesus, they've also lost Judas. And so the group of 12 became 11, and they then have worked out a way of appointing a replacement for Judas. So there's change. That brings a sense of, of being unsettled. But more than anything, they've lost Jesus their master, their teacher, their rabbi. They're probably still quite fearful, having watched Jesus die on a cross. There is a sense that the Romans are still a real and genuine threat, and so they may well be living with a sense of fear. I would imagine that they're incredibly confused. Confused as they reflect back on on all that has happened It's been like a whirlwind. They've been turned upside down. Their lives have been transformed, taken away from what they knew, what was comfortable. Their whole idea of their religion and their faith has been turned upside down, and they still have questions. And Jesus has gone leaving words that are quite frankly bizarre. Go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. There's probably a great deal of confusion amongst them. So what do they do? They pray. They gather together and they pray. Because what else do you do when life is like that? When everything has been turned upside down, what do you do? What should you do? You gather together and you pray. The day of Pentecost has arrived and Jerusalem is full of people. It's heaving. Pentecost existed before the day of Pentecost we celebrate. It was a Jewish festival, a bit like a harvest festival, giving thanks to God for the produce, for the good things that he has given them. And a bit like Passover, Jews gathered from all over the world, from the places where they had moved to and were living and had been settled, they came to Jerusalem. So there's a busyness, there's a buzz, there's a, a sense of excitement and activity in Jerusalem. This is a wonderful festival of thanksgiving, so there's great celebration. And so the place is full of Jewish people who have gathered, people who speak different languages but share the same faith. And the disciples are in Jerusalem together together probably to celebrate that festival, but maybe they've continued to be together out of all the the emotions that I've just described. And in the room that they sit, the Spirit comes. We talk about the Spirit coming, don't we? And yet, do we really know what that is like? The words are so easy, but here is something you could not ever question. The Spirit descends in power, like tongues of fire, that rest on each person, like a gushing wind that blows through, each experiencing the same thing. This isn't somebody who's just being a little bit confused and a little bit hopeful. This is a reality of the Spirit coming in power, the Spirit that Jesus had promised, come to equip them, to empower them, to give them that sense of his presence, with them blows through this room and tongues of fire descend. Don't you wish you'd been there? Don't you wish you could experience the spirit in that way? Don't you wish that you could say without question of a doubt the spirit is moving and the spirit is moving in power. I would say yesterday when Bishop Michael Curry stood up the spirit was moving in power. Over a billion people heard him preach. If that is not the spirit moving in power, what is? We do experience it, but we like to pretend we don't. The spirit moves in power. And what was the first thing that happened? We get bound up on gifts of the spirit and whether or not we speak in tongues or whether or not we prophesy. That is part of the work of the Spirit, but it's only one very, very small part. What is the first thing that happens as a result of the Spirit coming in power? It is that they are able to speak and to explain the gospel of good news to people in their own language. The Spirit comes that God might be known around the world. Currently in Jerusalem, it is to people from a Jewish religion. But Jews who speak different languages, who suddenly hear the good news of Jesus spoken in their own language. Can you imagine hearing new truths spoken in ways that you can understand? It might be that we speak English, but we're not speaking the language that speaks to our heads and our hearts. Suddenly, there's a clarity in what is being said. The Spirit comes in power. And the disciples are equipped to witness, to witness to Jesus, to the Jesus that they have known and loved and walked with and travelled with and, yes, are confused about, but they are equipped and they are given the power to do so. The fear has gone. They leave the room. They go out where the Romans will be watching and they preach the good news of Jesus. Why do we get stuck on tongues when actually the Spirit comes that we might spread the good news of Jesus? The day of Pentecost comes and the word is spread around. Jesus has promised this gift. He has promised that as he leaves, his leaving them will allow the counselor to come. And this is the reality of that happening. The Spirit falls upon an assembled people, and that's really important. They weren't all sitting as individuals when the Spirit fell, they were gathered together. And we need to note that. There is something about the Spirit falling upon an assembled people when his work can come in power. And that first act was to equip them to speak. To speak of Jesus to all people. So my question today, what does that say to us? Do we as a church invite the Spirit to come to equip us? To equip us to share the gospel of Jesus? To give us the words and to give us the confidence? Do we invite the Spirit to equip us in what we're called to do? We're looking at the role of the church over these summer Sundays And actually, shouldn't we just be praying for the Spirit to come to equip us to do what he would do amongst us? Dare we invite the Spirit to equip us, to fulfill who we're meant to be? So the day of Pentecost arrives, the Spirit comes in power. The disciples are able to speak and to witness in the languages of the people around them in ways that make sense. What follows on after that? What work does the Spirit do beyond the day of Pentecost? Well, the next thing for Peter, our fisherman, Peter, the one who always gets his words wrong, who jumps in and says the wrong thing time and time again, is equipped to stand up and to preach. Peter, the fisherman who failed, is 11 plus, as it were, because he'd gone back to be a fisherman, he hadn't been trained to be a rabbi, is preaching. He is empowered and equipped to stand and to preach. And this isn't preaching of a head knowledge of academic study about Jesus, because that isn't who Peter is. This is a speaking of Jesus who lives in his heart. Jesus who is influencing everything. And it is Jesus who is speaking through the words of Peter. That's what we saw yesterday. We didn't see a crafted academic sermon we saw a man who knows Jesus and he spoke of what he knew. And that is how Peter would have stood up to speak. Because when we speak about Jesus, we can worry so much about the arguments that we might need to be able to answer. We might worry about the words to say. And there is a time and a place to consider some of, the, of what society is dealing with so that we can respond Can a Christian and a scientist be the same thing? What is new atheism? How do we deal with the problem of suffering? These are all really important questions. But again, they're red herrings that that could stop us actually doing what we're called to do. Because all we are called to do is to speak about the Jesus who lives in our hearts. That's all we're called to do. That is all Peter did. He stood up and he spoke about the Jesus he knew. He spoke about the Jesus that now through the power of the Spirit was living in his heart. And it poured out of him. Because he was so filled that he could do nothing else but speak of it. So do we invite the Spirit to fill us? To fill us with the fullness of Jesus Rather than thinking we've got to learn it all ourselves, it's all about the next thing, the next course, the next book. Dare we stand and invite the Spirit to fill every single one of us with the fullness of Jesus. The disciples were gathered together. The assembled people gathered together and the Spirit came and filled them all. As a church, dare we believe And dare we stand and invite the Spirit to come and to fill each and every one of us with the fullness of Jesus. So what happens when we're filled in this way? What does it look like? What are we inviting the Spirit to do? What are the consequences? Because it's a bit scary to ask if we don't quite know what will happen. Let's look at the early church. Firstly, they became an even they, they developed an even deeper common life. The chapters that follow quickly after Pentecost speak of the disciples living together, sharing together, supporting one another, loving coming together in fellowship, breaking bread together, and making sure that nobody of their lot was in need. The power of the Spirit allowed them to live in fellowship. With one another. And that deepened and strengthened as the church grew. And it did this as a sign of Jesus' love. Because the church is the demonstration to the world that Jesus loves us. Is that what the world sees? That's what we're meant to be. The church is a sign of Jesus reconciling love. And as we're filled with the Spirit our fellowship should grow deeper and stronger. It doesn't mean we don't have difficulties. The early church had lots and lots of difficulties and struggles. And all the way through Paul's letters, he reminds them of how they need to face these and tackle them to regain that deep fellowship that was so vital. So we invite the Spirit to come and fill us. And what we should see is a deepening of our fellowship with one another. Secondly, the early church discovered an openness to the work of the Spirit. We invite the Spirit to come. The disciples experienced the Spirit coming in the most powerful way ever. And as a result, the early church was open to the work of the Spirit. Prepared, excited, enjoying what the Spirit was doing amongst them. And that would have had a whole variety of of ways of appearing. There would have been signs and wonders. The stuff that we sort of think is the only thing the Spirit does, is deal in signs and wonders. And what are those signs and wonders? Things like healing. Again, um, chapter 3, chapter chapter 4, Yeah, no, chapter 3. Peter and John go to the temple and meet a crippled beggar. He asks for money. They say, we haven't got any money, but we've got something better. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they heal in a miraculous way. There are miracles. There are prophecies. The supernatural gifts of the Spirit that could only be explained by saying, yes, they belong to the Spirit. By being filled with the power of the Spirit, they were more open to what the Spirit would do amongst them. And sometimes that was in signs and wonders. They were open to the creativity of the Spirit. The Spirit isn't a solid piece. The Spirit moves like a wind, like fire. It is creative and challenges and opens us to the unexpected. Peter will receive a transformation of his understanding of what it means to be a believer. When he has a vision of food he will be allowed to eat that previously he hasn't been allowed to eat. Completely unexpected and challenging him to the core. The spirit is creative and forces us to, to think of the unexpected. The story of Philip in the eunuch. Philip suddenly realising, here he was evangelising to this man in a carriage who would never really have been thought of somebody that would have belonged to the the faith. And he believes. And Philip baptises him immediately. Are you prepared for the unexpected? Wherever you are, that God is at work through the power of his spirit and that you might be sitting next to somebody who suddenly believes. And what are you going to do to respond? The church, the early church, was open to the creativity of the spirit, to the direction of the spirit. How they grew and developed and changed was under the power of the spirit. Where Paul went on his journeys to continue to spread good news. They also would have seen a flowing of the fruits of the spirit In Galatians, we read of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and I'm sure I've missed out a couple. When the Spirit is moving amongst us, we expect to see the fruits of the Spirit flow and develop as a sign that the Spirit is at work amongst us. And finally, the early church would have understood a sense of joining with the mind of Christ. The disciples had had the huge advantage of living with Jesus, so they knew his mind. But as the church grew and developed, what we believe is that when the Spirit fills us, we are filled with Jesus. And as we're filled with Jesus, we understand more of his mind, and it affects us. So we grieve with those who grieve. We laugh with those who laugh. We can't hear of, of stories around the world without it aching inside because it aches, Jesus. We're filled with the mind of Jesus and that influences and changes who we are. The Spirit came at Pentecost in power and turned everything round. And the spirit is here amongst us now. Does it turn us around in the way he could? What's my story of experience, of living with the spirit? I've seen signs and wonders. I love that. I love it. The power of the spirit at work. I've been in a John Wimber Wimber meeting in the Usher Hall in Edinburgh and seeing healings happening all around and the power of the spirit in one place like that, falling. I didn't actually see flames fall, but you could feel it. You could feel it inside. The spirit is here and is at work and it's exciting. I love that. I've seen several healings. And I rejoice and give thanks to the power of the Spirit for that. I speak in tongues. Not always, not very often, but I can do. I'm conscious of prophecies. But that's only one tiny part of the work of the Spirit. I would say my personal journey, day by day, is much more of walking in the gentleness of the spirit like a dove. Of knowing the presence of Jesus with me through the power of that spirit in a gentle, nudging, encouraging way. Sometimes it can be a bit risky sensing what you think the spirit is saying to you and a lot of the time I'll just try and push that down because actually it can be a bit risky. I can remember one of the very first times this happened, I think I was 16. I was part of the school Christian Union. And you probably will find this really hard to believe, but I was incredibly shy at school. I hardly spoke in class. The fact I'm standing here speaking is not who I was when I was 16. Most teachers hardly had heard my voice. And I was part of this Christian Union, and we had, um, you have to remember this was Scotland, we didn't do weekly worship, we did worship once a term, at the end of term, for the school assembly. And it was just a disaster. We had the school chaplain who was completely ineffective and the whole school was just chaos. You know, paper airplanes being thrown around, nobody listening. That was our um, collective worship in Scotland in a secondary school. I had a real sense um, as we were chatting at our Christian union that we had an opportunity to influence this appalling assembly and to actually do something in it. I said, I I just really feel that God is saying it would be great if we perhaps could get some of our musicians to to lead the song rather than the really boring hymn that they're going to play and no one will join in on. And everyone agrees, yeah, fantastic, that's great. And so we spoke to the the staff and they said, yes, that's fine. So the little group of musicians organised all of that and they planned to do that. I thought, this is great. But I still had something going on inside and it just wouldn't go away. So I spoke to the rest and said, something else. I think one of us needs to stand up and say why we go to the CU. And they all agreed. So yeah, fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it was me. And I know that the Spirit spoke to me about it but also that he equipped me and empowered me to do it. Because the teachers were blown away By the fact I could stand up in front of 1,400 students and explain why I was part of the Christian Union. I should have realised then God was doing something. And that's the risky thing of living with the mind of Jesus because it might pull you into uncomfortable places. But you need to balance that with a sense that when you are called into them, He equips you to do it. I never stand on my own. I never, ever stand on my own. I stand in the power of the Spirit to equip me for everything I do. So that's the sort of the the more risky element of living with the Spirit. On a day-to-day basis, how do I know that I'm living with the Spirit? Because he guides me. He leads me to places where I suddenly think, gosh, I should have been here. I have a sense of something and I go and call on somebody. And it's the right moment to have been there. I know that when I'm going into a pastoral situation where I, I have not the words to say at all, that I can go, even though it still terrifies me, but I go with confidence that the Spirit will give me the words because actually I have nothing to say in that situation at all but I need to be there and I can only do that through experience of knowing that the Spirit will give me the words to say. That's a lovely, gentle way of living with the Spirit. So I love signs and wonders because that's so obvious that the Spirit is at work. But I love the sense of the Spirit living with me day by day, guiding me, directing me, comforting me, reassuring me. Gosh, how much reassurance I need. And the Spirit will do that. Dare we invite the Spirit to fill us, to walk with us every day, to lead us to where he calls us to be. What sort of a life do you want to live? What sort of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church on fire? That knows we live in the power of the Spirit. That is equipped to speak of Jesus that is prepared to follow the creative urges of the Spirit, however uncomfortable that might be from time to time, that lives in the confidence of a daily walk with Jesus, shaping who we are, transforming us from within, that our mind becomes more and more like his. And we ache and we grieve and we laugh and we rejoice with the mind of Jesus that overcomes who we are in our own selves. Pentecost is an amazing opportunity annually to remind ourselves of who the Spirit is. But it shouldn't just be on Pentecost. Father, Son and Spirit. We worship God, we learn of Jesus' stories and the Spirit's usually the hardest one because you can't define the Spirit in the same way and it can scare us but I want to say a lifetime of living with the spirit has never taken me to places I can't cope with he's never asked more of me than he will equip me to do and I couldn't live day by day I couldn't get up in the morning and do what I do Unless I knew the Spirit was with me. My challenge to invite him more and more. Because I can wake and think I feel empty. And what do I forget to do? Invite him to fill me. And I can go through weeks of feeling quite empty. And forget to invite him to fill me. Because actually life's really busy. And emails and phone calls are distractions. Distractions. And I can get so bogged down with all of that, but I know in my head the distractions because that time of filling is what I need to do. But there's something that can stop me from time to time. The prayer tents have been an amazing opportunity to stop and to ask. I spent an hour there on Thursday evening just sitting in the rest tent. And I thought, why do I not do this every day? Now, there's reasons why I don't do it every day. It's not up there every day. But why wouldn't I want to do that? Why wouldn't I want to sit in the presence of God and invite the Spirit to fill me with the fullness of Jesus? Of course, I should be there. Metaphorically. Every single day. Because a lot of the time, we live on empty. We have moments of invitation And then we go back to life. And moments of invitation and back to life. What kind of a church do we want to be? I have a prayer. I was really struck by the fact that the Spirit descended on an assembled gathering of people. Because I think we've actually personalised the Spirit as well. We've thought about what's my experience of the Spirit. So we go to New Wine or we go to Soul Survivor and it's what's the Spirit doing in my life. And we go forward for individual prayer ministry and I think that is brilliant. Please hear that in the correct way. But I think we sometimes lose that sense of the Spirit falling on an assembled people. And we are... The people of God here in this place. So, I want to end my talk with a prayer for us as a people. There are four stanzas, five stanzas, and they each end with the word Holy Spirit. And the response is this Move in us today. Holy Spirit, move in us today. And I want to pray this prayer, and I want to invite you to think of the words. And not just to say the response because I've told you to, but because you want to. Because you want to be a place, part of a place, that is inviting the Spirit today to come and to move amongst us like a mighty wind, like powers of fire in the gentleness of the dove. So I'll read this relatively slowly so you can hear the words and invite you as you are able to to respond, move in us today. Spirit of God, you swept into the lives of the apostles and in a moment everything was different, transformed forever by your renewing power. You breathed new vision into them, new hope and faith, so that the world was suddenly alive again with promise. Suddenly you were there, deep within, cleansing, encouraging, empowering, inspiring, turning their lives inside out so that nothing would ever be the same again. Holy Spirit, move in us today. You came to those looking to serve you, but uncertain of the way forward. To those who believed you could use them, though they didn't know how. To those who recognised the future was full of opportunities to serve you, but who doubted their ability to respond. And suddenly the future was clear. Confidence radiating from them as you touched their lives with power from on high. Holy Spirit, move in us today. You came to those who had followed Jesus throughout his ministry and who longed to know him better. Those who had witnessed his preaching and teaching, who had watched him suffer and die, and having seen him gloriously raised to life again, wanted to grasp better what it all meant for them and for others. And suddenly you were there, calling the words of Jesus to mind, opening their hearts to the truth, leading them to an ever-deeper understanding of everything Christ had achieved. Holy Spirit, move in us today. You came to those conscious of their failure and weakness, all too aware of their limited abilities, their flawed faith and their rebellious natures, And suddenly, they discovered new life growing within them, gifts which they scarcely imagined possible, and fruits which they had never even contemplated. Holy Spirit, move in us today. Spirit of God, you swept into the lives of the apostles, and in a moment, everything was different. Move now in us, so that our service may be enriched, our faith deepened, and our lives transformed. Holy Spirit, move in us today.